0: Well, good morning, Covenant. It's great to be together this morning, and it's an honor to be able to share God's word with you. This morning, we're celebrating Epiphany Sunday in the church calendar. And as we saw in our scripture reading, the visit of the Magi, or the wise men, is the central event in Epiphany. Epiphany calls us to remember that Jesus Christ offers light and life, not only to Israel, but also to the world. And in our passage for this morning, the prophet Isaiah speaks beautifully about this reality. Our passage is found in Isaiah 60, and in it, Isaiah envisions a coming day when the light of God's glory will dwell in the city of Jerusalem. With the dawning of this light, an incredible reversal begins to take place. Isaiah looks out, and he sees that the nations are gathering together and coming to Jerusalem. But rather than coming to conquer or to fight, they come as brothers and sisters. And not only this, but these people will bring with them unfathomable wealth to present as gifts and offerings to the God of Israel. This scene is portrayed by the prophet with beautiful artistry and rich detail. The nations, even those who have fought against Israel, who have sought the destruction of Jerusalem, these nations now come Pouring out the greatest of their resources to rebuild Jerusalem and to worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Yet, as the prophet describes this scene, I can't help but ask the question, why? Why would these people leave their established customs and their cultural forms of worship? What makes them so compelled that they would pour out the best of what they have to offer as gifts to God? Why is God's presence in Jerusalem good news for the nations? Or maybe you could ask this question in a way that reflects our own time. We've just celebrated Christmas, which is the coming of Jesus who is the light. But why is the coming of Jesus good news to the world? What is it about who he is and what he's done that offers anything of substance to our world? But at times, I can feel hesitant to share Jesus with the people in my life, especially when they enjoy things like money or status. These factors can lull me into thinking that even though Jesus has meant everything to my life, they seem to be doing all right without him. Should I be content with my own faith in Christ and just let others be? maybe you've experienced similar feelings of reluctance or lack of confidence in telling others about Jesus. Or maybe you feel these kinds of doubts for yourself. After all, many things can start to feel more relevant than the events surrounding a Jewish man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago. Why is Jesus good news to the world or even just to my neighbor? Well, I think that the prophet Isaiah's vision both Asks and answers this same sort of question as he speaks of the nations coming to worship God. And so, as we consider his words, I want to point to two resounding realities of why the nations are so drawn to God and why his coming to earth in the person of Jesus is good news to the entire world. So, if you'll join me in Isaiah 60, we'll be reading the first nine verses together. You can find this in your order of worship. The prophet Isaiah writes this Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, And shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar. Their silver and their gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. This is God's word, and it's given to us for our good. Father, we ask that in the time that you've given us, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Would your spirit enlighten our hearts to see you, to understand this word that you've given us. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. As we saw in the opening verses of our passage, Christ's coming offers good news to the world because it is the light of God's glory that outshines our world that is cloaked in darkness. Isaiah opens his prophetic vision with a proclamation to Jerusalem saying, Your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And while we might not at first see this as remarkable, the people of Isaiah's time certainly would have been surprised to hear such a turn of events. Israel's persistent disobedience and unfaithfulness to the covenant had led to devastating consequences. By God's sovereign hand, the remaining kingdom of Judah had been conquered by the Babylonian Empire and taken into exile. Their city had been destroyed and pillaged, including the temple. But after 70 years... God mercifully brought these people back to the land of their inheritance. But they were never able to rebuild their city with the same beauty and prominence that it had known before. But it's in this reality that Isaiah sees the light of God descend upon this beleaguered people. And it begins to emit this spectacular light. A light which overpowers the darkness of this fallen world. A light which signals the salvation of his people. The prophet follows his announcement of God's light with a diagnosis of the state of the world. He speaks, he writes, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. In this he speaks to the abiding and persisting power of sin on earth. And after a year like 2020, we've been reminded over and over again of the darkness that covers and infects our world. But Isaiah's diagnosis doesn't only refer to viruses or natural disasters. Instead, he says that thick darkness covers the people. And so, as we're often reminded in our time of confession, this problem of sin doesn't only exist outside of us, but it is within us. Our very hearts are darkened and turned away from God. But as the Lord arises upon them, the minds and the hearts of the nations are drawn to this light of God's glory. And it's this light of God that shines in the darkness that stands as such good news to the nations. And even after a year like 2020, I think that at times we can forget the power and presence of darkness in our world and even in our own hearts. We imagine that the people around us are content They're satisfied with their lives. So so the idea that we might upset their balance with the good news of Jesus seems more like an inconvenience or an unnecessary offense to them rather than sharing life-changing good news. But the prophet urges us to look at the world with clear eyes to see that the darkness that has covered all of us. And more than that, in our darkened state, we crave a light that shines over the darkness. We long for a light that is only found in God. I'm convinced that our world is hungry for a light that shines, but so often we only settle for things that are flashy. And there's a difference between flashiness and shining. Flashiness is seen in things that, for a brief moment, catch a glimmer of light, but it doesn't actually offer the source of light that's sustainable or even helpful for dealing with our darkness. We look to things that engage our senses with pleasure like food or entertainment. We look to things that are, offer us relief from fear and anxiety like stability or wellness. But these are only ways that the things of earth counterfeit the light of God. The true light, the light that outshines the darkness, comes to us only in God's goodness, in his grace, in his faithfulness. So Isaiah is calling us to see that all of us are searching desperately for this kind of light. Yet we so often come up empty because we don't go to the source of this light. It's the unmatched and incomparable light of God that has the power to outshine and overpower the darkness that characterizes our fallen world. And, and this is why the story of the wise men is such a powerful story. You see, these men of status, knowledge, and wealth, they're so enamored by this shining star marking out the birth of Jesus that they leave their comforts and they embark on a dangerous journey to find this king. And they do this out of hope, believing that this light could mean the end to all their darkness. And it doesn't disappoint. Instead, they pour out their gifts and wealth because they recognize that the one who commands such light is worthy of worship. He's worthy of adoration and obedience. As the prophet continues, he shows that it's not only the appearance of God in Jerusalem that draws these nations there, but it's also the way that God works in Jerusalem that pulls these people to him. It's the beauty of God's redemptive work that captivates the worship of the nations. At the end of his description of the nation's gifts, Isaiah describes these ships of Tarshish bringing gold and silver for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. And I love this because it's like Isaiah is imagining that these nations are looking as spectators from afar at what God has done and is doing in Jerusalem to rebuild his people and to restore relationship with them. And they're captivated by the beauty of God's grace and forgiveness. And so they set sail for Jerusalem from the furthest out nations of the ancient world and they bring their wealth and they bring their resources with them to offer as gifts of gratitude and praise to this God who has embodied beauty in his actions towards Israel. This God who they have left everything behind in order that they could worship him. And this is exactly how the gospel of Jesus Christ draws people to repentance and faith in him. It's the truth of his life and his death and his resurrection The grace and forgiveness found in him. The work of God's spirit reshaping a person's life to love God and neighbor. These are the things that God puts on display for the world to see. As people witness redemption playing out in someone's life, it has a beauty that grips them. It's both mysterious and confusing and yet it's captivating. We're drawn to what we perceive as beautiful It's beauty that inspires our actions and our commitments. It's why people spend millions of dollars on a piece of artwork. Because they're struck with its beauty. They have to have it. It's why a beautiful movie or song can grip us and shape our imaginations. This kind of beauty pales in comparison to the kind of beauty that God creates In redeeming a people for himself through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's this ultimate beauty that captivates the worship of the nations. And it's what we ought to be captivated by. It's the work of Jesus taking us from death to life through faith in him that's supposed to draw us to worship. To draw us to sacrifice our own resources for the sake of his kingdom and for his honor. It's like the wise men realized after seeing Jesus, that the only fitting recipient of their wealth and honor is Jesus. And so this question that we've been asking Isaiah has been answered in these two parts. Jesus is good news to the world because the light of his glory outshines our world that's cloaked in darkness. And because the beauty of his redeeming work captivates the worship of the nations. But there's another question running through this passage. Only this time it's one that Isaiah is asking of us. How are you showing that Jesus is good news for your neighbor? God is inviting us to participate in this ministry of proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. God not only comes to dwell in light with his people, but he also calls us to live in a way that shines forth the luster and beauty of the gospel. Like the prophet says in the first line, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's the truth of Jesus on display in your life. Are you showing this truth in your life? Are you showing your kids the kind of grace that Christ has shown you? Are you embodying the gospel in the way that you interact with your friends or your coworkers or your family? Is the gospel made beautiful in the way that you live it out? These everyday, ordinary encounters are some of the most important opportunities that God gives us to participate in this amazing work of redemption. And it's in these ways and many others that God works to display the beauty of the gospel so that the nations and our neighbors and we ourselves might be drawn to worship him. To worship the God who offers us restored relationship with him through the work of his son who lived and died and rose again for us and for our salvation. This is the God that we have come to know through faith and who the world longs to hear of so that they can join us in worshiping him. Let's pray. Lord, you are light and you are life. You have shown us these things in your son, Jesus. God, we're grateful for your revelation of Jesus. Lord, that you have shown him to us and that you have shown him to be beautiful. We ask that you would make our lives ones that display this beauty of your gospel, this beauty of your light to the world around us. Would you do this through the work of your Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.